Hey everybody and welcome to DCI number 26. I'm your host Jonathan Miley and I am incredibly excited to bring this interview to you. This is an interview with Kent Hudson, uh, the developer behind The Novelist and it's a, a game that I've kind of had my eye on for a little while and recently got to play and just fell in love with it. It's on my top five games of the year and uh, I'm just really really happy that we could get this interview uh, and share it with you because I think it's a really fantastic talk that we had um, and I feel like it's a really good way to to end the year so you know 2013 is now over uh, we've done over 50 interviews this year which has been awesome and this is definitely uh, one of my favorites here that you're getting ready to listen to so if you want to find out more about Dark Station you can do that at darkstation.com if you want to follow us on Twitter you can do that at darkstation underscore com if you want to subscribe to us on iTunes we're the Darkcast. while you're there give us a review and let us know what you think of the show finally if you want to shoot us an email you can do that at podcast at darkstation.com for more information about the novelist or Kent Hudson then check out the links in the show notes for this episode and I uh, hope you had a great holiday and have a fantastic new year and we will see you in 2014 now on with the show How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Good. Good deal. Uh, you said you've got a Christmas party later on that you're going to? Yeah, apparently so. My uh, yeah, my wife's company, their Christmas party's tonight, so I get to get all dressed up and go out and, you know, drink someone else's alcohol. Nice. Uh, as long as it's not in the Nakatomi Plaza, you should be fine. <laughs> well, even then, just as long as you yeah. bring some shoes, you should yeah. be good. <laughs> yeah, even then, bring if, I don't, yeah. Yeah. if I don't try to... Uh, negotiate the the turnover of john mcclain uh, yeah i'll be fine yeah oh yeah definitely don't do that no hans booby baby exactly i'm your white knight uh absolutely (laughs) yeah that's that's always my first christmas movie uh that's that's what i use to to get into the holiday spirit yeah so it's that's a good one black christmas is another good one i'm a big slasher movie guy so okay yeah i've never actually seen black christmas so it's one of the few good slasher movies yeah. Um, good to know. I'll have to, to look that up. You know if it's on Netflix or anything? I don't know. I think it's been on before, but it's one of those movies that I don't know if the rights are tied up or whatever, but mm. it kind of comes and goes on there. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It actually predates Halloween by about four years. Oh, wow. Uh, and and has a lot of the same techniques. So. Okay. There you go. How's that for a tangent? That, hey, that is a great tangent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, well, I guess if we could kind of start off the interview proper with uh, you just telling us a little bit about who you are and and what you do. Uh, Yeah, so my name is Kent Hudson. Um, I've been making video games professionally for, I guess, over 12 years now. Um, I got my start at Ion Storm Austin. I worked on uh, Deus Ex Invisible War and helped out some on um, Thief 3 and the PS2 version of Deus Ex. And then I went to Midway Austin after Ion Storm collapsed. And uh, worked on an open world game that never got announced, so that's kind of a bummer. And then Midway got shut down, uh, so I came out here to San Francisco, where I worked on uh, Bioshock 2, and then uh, also worked for a while on uh, the game XCOM. Uh, I guess they renamed it the Bureau Dis- Decla- the Bureau XCOM Declassified. I think it's yeah. the name of the game. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's it. 
I um I left that one a couple years before it shipped, and it was pretty much I don't think anything I ever worked on actually made it into the into the final game. But uh, and then after that, I went to LucasArts for a brief bit, um, and then quit from there to go indie. And so uh, I just shipped my first indie game, which is called The Novelist. And that's the topic of most of our conversation today. Uh, before we get to that, we'll probably talk a little bit, if you're at liberty to talk to some about, uh, just kind of some of those uh, big games that it's always, really sure. for me, it's always interesting to kind of hear behind the scenes on, uh, especially uh, Deus Ex Invisible War. Um, that's, yeah. I, I know I'm I'm in a very, very small group of people, but that is one of my all-time favorite games. Uh, <laughs> you know what's funny is that I think that like, upon historical review because lots of people say that like a lot of people say you know i I know there's not many of us but i really liked it and then like enough people say it and it's like no there are many of you actually (laughs) yeah they they all just spec stealth so they can't see each other yeah totally totally it's it's one of those games like obviously like i'll be the first to say i mean i got into the industry because deus ex is my favorite game that came out my um the the uh summer between my junior and senior year of college and that was the game where I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is what I want to do with my life. Like, I, it, that, that game changed everything for me. So I'll be the first to say Invisible War is not as good as the original. Like, it, it is, you know, it, it, it is a step down sequel-wise. But it's still really good. Like, it's got a lot of cool stuff in it. Yeah, and it's also one of those games that when you look back at when it first came out, everyone loved it. It's one of those yeah. games that's, like, retroactively hated. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, to, 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 to be fair, like, you know, Deus Ex is an, an all-time great. You know, it's mm-hmm. still my favorite game ever. Sure. Um, so it's, you know, it's almost impossible to follow that up. But, you know, we we made some mistakes, but we did some cool stuff, too. So, you know. It is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, there's there's a lot of is what it is in my career. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, between that and, and all the studios you've closed. Yes, I have. I, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, there, not a single game studio I've ever worked for still exists. I, I went. I went. Uh, I went down with two ships, and I jumped from two ships before they went down. So you know, I'm fifty-fifty on seeing the writing on the wall. <laughs> actually, I, I actually saw the writing at, at all of the studios, but in my first two, I was too, I guess, inexperienced and naive to realize I should get out. So mm-hmm. I was just like, "Oh, I can tell this is going badly, but maybe it'll turn around." And then <laughs> the hammer falls. So, I don't know. That's part of being in the industry. It sucks, but you know, each time I—it sounds—it sounds bizarre to say, but you know, each time I kind of liked the position I landed in, and it was always, you know, it's good to mix things up every now and then. So, I don't really have any regrets about it. All right. Uh, now, in addition to uh, Deus Ex Two, you also worked on Bioshock Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Bioshock One one of your all-time favorite games? Yeah, I, so, I would. I would say Bioshock One. Okay. Top ten, top fifteen, maybe. I mean, Deus Ex is number one, so. Okay, I, I was just wondering if you if you make a kind of a habit of trying to make the sequel to your all time no, games. No, I've, uh. it's, it's, I'm I'm always late to the party, I guess, which you know is a bummer. But um, but it was more that both of the you know both of the times that I was looking for jobs before I went to those companies, I was just like, oh, you know, these are companies who are doing interesting stuff. It wasn't necessarily about the sequel. It was more like, well, you know, these guys in Ironstorm made what became my favorite game ever. So I should go work with those guys because they make really cool stuff. And it happened to be the sequel, um, but it wasn't like I, you know, I had no problem working on the sequel, of course, but it wasn't like I was like, I really have to be on the sequel. And it's the same thing with um, with Bio 2 because um, it was a whole new studio starting up out here. You know, they they built the studio to build the game. And so it was pretty cool to get in. I You know, I wasn't one of the core members. Like, I think eight people came out and started it. But I was I was there within, 
six months and, you know, uh, was, was, was there when we started, you know, really building the game out for real. And, you know, it was cool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it was more like excited by the people and the projects and they happen to be sequels, but it was more, you know, yeah, just, just, just being around cool teams who are, who are doing interesting stuff. Like I got, you know, I'd, I'd much rather do that stuff than, um, work on more run of the mill games. Sure. So I, I find it kind of interesting and I, I just linked this together, but Two developers that worked on Bioshock 2 have gone on to release two very story-driven games where you wander around a house in yep. 2013. Yep. Uh, that's what 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 is it about Bioshock 2 and making you want to walk around houses? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's an it's an interesting question because um, obviously both games are nonviolent um, and they're they're both very narratively driven, but uh, I think. There's like there's a common thread of DNA and, and, and we, we call um, I don't know how widespread the term is, but we we call them immersive sims, you know, short for immersive simulations. And that's the genre that's like uh, Deus Ex, um, the, the early thief games, um, Bioshock one was more actiony, but still had a lot of that DNA system shock Two games like that. Um, and, and while those games obviously have a lot of action gameplay, there's a really, really, really strong sense of environment and strong sense of narrative and strong sense of exploration in those games. And so, you know, especially Gone Home, I, me- I remember talking to Steve when he was starting it up, and he was basically like, um, yeah, we're going to make a Bioshock level without the violence. You know, he's like, we're going to make a Bioshock level without guns. And if you think about it, that's that's very similar to what they did. You know, you're exploring this really dense, rich environment, um, and, you know, you're using, quote-unquote, audio logs, similar to, you know, what what is what's in those games and stuff. So you can kind of see that there's a lot more in common with those types of games you know, once you just pull out the pull out the action, you know. So, There's a real lack of water in Gone Home, though, too, as well. That that is very true. <laughs> I, well, true. not really. I mean, it was I mean, raining, it was but you know, the, the you know, well, you just don't yeah, but see the water. Compare yeah. that to the ocean, and you'll find one is lacking. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. True, true. Can't deny that. Um. So, and uh, just kind of backtrack a little bit. Uh, you also did some consultation work on Infinite. Is that I did. What, yep. what kind of stuff did you do with, with that? Um, I only spent about a month on it. It was last January, and I went up to Boston. And, you so know, January is in a, a year ago? or uh, Yeah, way? as in uh, early, early 2012. Oh, okay. Yeah, early 2012. Um, and that was really a thing that just came out of the blue. Um, I had quit my job at LucasArts, and after I quit at LucasArts, I actually went back and did like a two-week contract on uh, 1313, the game that ultimately got canceled, which is obviously a bummer. Um but uh, on my last day of consulting, right before I started um, digging into my game, I just got an email out of the blue from one of the guys up at Boston. like, hey, do you want to come up and uh, contract on this game? And I was like, uh, hadn't really been planning on it. But, you know, I like, you know, obviously I worked on the second one and I really like the first one. I was like, sure. So it kind of worked out to where I went up there. Um, and I worked on uh, primarily gameplay stuff, mostly um, some AI stuff. But it's one of those things where, like, I kind of, you know, they, they, I had the option to go longer, but I kind of was like, look, it's January in Boston, which is frigid. I'm 3000 <laughs> miles from my wife. I'm living in this corporate apartment. I was like, is it really, you know, is this really what I want to be doing instead of working on my own game? So I kind of, you know, amicably, uh, came back home after a month. So I don't even know how much of the stuff I did ended up in the game. Um, but yeah, so, so I did. That, that was basically like a one month sort of like, hey, let's let's pay some bills at the beginning of this indie adventure kind of thing. 
but yeah, that's that's pretty much what that was. Okay. All right. Well, enough about those big AAA games. Um, yeah, that's all in the past. Um, you went indie. Uh, let's see. When did LucasArts? Uh, well, LucasArts closed what last year? Um, two thousand. No, it's earlier this year. No, this year. no. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. thinking of when Disney bought the rights of uh, Star Wars. Sorry. Right. Uh, yeah. So earlier this that year. That was that was the death knell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That was when they really died, but they didn't officially die until this year. Um, so when did you actually leave uh, LucasArts? You, was that it was around little, the time? You... No, a little over two years ago. Um, okay. I left before any of the Disney stuff happened, or obviously before the studio closure. I, I left in October of uh, 2011. So, so, so why why go uh, the the indie road? Um, it really was process of elimination um, because. And my job at 2K Marin working on XCOM, and then, you know, that was that was, that was the first job I ever quit in my life, you know. Like, I, I I never had quit a job before, but I was just, like, really, really unhappy. Um, I, I, I wasn't happy with the work I was doing, and I was kind of in a situation where um, I, I wasn't excited about the project, but I was in a leadership position, and I had to, you know run run the design team and in, in, uh, in the Marin studio because it was a two studio process and you know run run the design team and work on this game that I just wasn't happy about that I didn't I didn't believe in some of the decisions and stuff so it was this very very awkward thing where I was having to almost be like a mouthpiece um, and 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 keep you know rally the troops on this thing I couldn't get behind and so I was I was pretty unhappy there so I quit and went to LucasArts and I was working on a really cool game with uh, Clint Hawking and uh, Matthias Vork. Um, we, we were like a little three man concept team and we were uh, coming up with a really cool pitch for a game that we, we were really interested in. It had a lot of interesting narrative stuff going on in it. Um, and we really liked it, but as we were working, we kind of started to realize that, um, we were sort of the, at the end of the food chain on, um, hiring and staffing up and actually getting to the point of building the game because there were, there were two other game teams, uh, who were for, you know further along, and so they were you know they they had the 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 priority when it came to hiring, um, and rightly so you know like you should you know you have to support the games that are closer to ship you know nothing to be bitter about or anything but we ju- I just kind of realized wow it might be five years before this game comes out and you know we're sitting here three guys in a room and it's fun for a while but like I want to make something you know like I want to I want to move forward on a project and so at that point I realized that it had basically been since we shipped Bioshock two that you know that it had been like two years since i had just been engaged working on something that i was creatively invested in and really believed in and was doing you know good work i was proud of right so i kind of realized it'd been too long and i don't want to just you know like the lucas arts awesome office was awesome i was making good money it's you know cake job but um i was like i i'm going crazy here i'm not making anything so when i decided to leave i started looking around at you know what are the places in San Francisco? And no one was really hiring um, at the time. And so I was like, I, if I quit, I don't know where I'd go. Uh, and, you know, my, my uh, wife has a, a job here in San Francisco, so we couldn't just, you know, put moving on the table. So um, I realized, you know, going indie was kind of by process of elimination. The only way I could work on a game that I was like, yeah, this is what I want to work on. It's what I believe in and et cetera. So um, luckily we've been saving some money because um, my wife at the time, um, she was at a previous company. She was actually thinking about uh, going independent herself. And so we started, we had been saving for a while and we had built up this little nest egg that was like, hey, you know, this would let, you know, this would let you take a year or two off and do your own thing. And then by the time I got unhappy at LucasArts, 
she had she was back happy with her job and so i was like well what if I used that money instead and went indie? So way to keep that patriarchy going, man. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it was a funny coincidence, but it just worked out. And so uh, it was really just more like, like I said, process of elimination is the only way I could uh, get onto a project that I was excited about and believed in. So I was like, screw it. It's kind of like, you know, screw it. I'll do it myself. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, and when I quit, I had no idea what game I'd be making. I had no pitches. I had no, I had no plan. I was just like, I just need to get out of here and get onto my own thing, and I'll I'll go from there. So, so where, where did you go from there? What um kind of what did, what did you start with? Uh, I know the novelist wasn't the first thing that you started with, but what kind no. of led you there? Um, well, well, what happened was, and this kind of circles back to the Bioshock Infinite thing. Um, what happened was I started uh, working on a little like sort of two D musical puzzler kind of thing. It was a thing, maybe. It wasn't a game. It was just a, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a diversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was mainly an excuse to learn Unity, um, and so I started uh, just working on this little sort of musical toy game type thing, uh, and I worked on it for about a month, and then you know I, I got that uh, that offer to go up to Boston, and so I had worked a little bit on this on this uh, iPad 2D musical puzzler thing, and then put it on hold to go up. Um, to work at Irrational, and I'd only been working on my own for a month, but as soon as I got there and was back, like, working in an office with people on a big project, I kind of had this epiphany where I was like, okay, I have the opportunity to do something of my own, and now that I'm back in an environment where, you know, you're working on someone else's game in an office with a huge team, and, and it's, you know, a slow process, right? Like, it's a slow, big machine. I was like, oh, my God, I have such an opportunity working independently i can't freaking i can't make this stupid little puzzler game i was like i was like there's no way i could live with myself if i had this opportunity and and wasted it on this lame game that i don't even know what it is so i i kind of scrapped it while i was while i was up in boston i decided i was like i'm gonna throw that away um and started trying to think of what other projects i could because i was like look if i you know I, I always approached it from this could definitely be my only chance to ever make my own indie game you know make, make a game that's just 100% what I wanted to do with no outside interference or whatever. Um, and so I started thinking of, you know, what game should I make? And uh, I dug up an old pitch that I just called Ghost. Um, and, and in it, it was, you were the, a ghost haunting, a, like, a, of course, this corny, an ancient mansion. And there's, like, uh, eight people who have just come from a funeral of a friend, almost like the Big Chill style, you know, like eight, eight, eight friends getting together. And you're kind of going around the house and manipulating objects and manipulating their relationships and all this, that, and the other. Um, and so I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll start tinkering with that idea. So I, so I, I built some of that. Um, and that, that was the genesis of, of what turned into the novelist. But as I went through, I realized like there's too many characters and there's no context for the care for the player to care about any of these things that he's doing to these people, because it's just so broad. Like, what do I care if this person falls in love with this person or this person becomes friends with this other person? Like it was just too big and too nebulous um, to really mean anything. So I just kept whittling it down and whittling it down and whittling it down. Um, and I just thought, you know, what's a, what's a context where I don't have to explain anything? What, what's a context that players are immediately going to understand what will be good or bad for a given relationship? And I was like, Oh, a family, you know, like, you know what it is to be a good or a bad dad. You know what it is to be a um, good or a bad spouse. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and most people know what it's like to have a to have a job or have a pursuit. And so I kind of once I hit on that, I realized, oh my gosh, I could I could 
make I could take this eight person house that's super nebulous and turn it into a three person family and take advantage of these sort of common knowledge relationships. And if I do that, all of a sudden I've got this huge leg up because now I don't have to explain who these people are. I don't have to explain what's good or bad for any of them. Everybody brings that context themselves. So I can dive straight into the the meat of the, you know, the meat of, of manipulating those relationships in, in the game. So it, it's kind of a long roundabout way that I finally got to what the game ended up being. So how long um, were you working on the novelist kind of in the, in the form that we see it today? Uh, about 22 months from start to finish. I okay. started when I got back. Um, I started on it on January 31st, I believe of, um, of 2012, whatever the, I, th- I think it was January 31st, but it was like, uh, or the 30th, like right before the start of uh, February is when I started working on it. Okay. Um, and I did some other consulting stuff uh, time to time in there just to sort of like keep my sanity and make a little, make a little extra money, but it was uh, 20, 22 months about. Okay. Um, so you are not traditionally, you know, the, the writer or graphics guy on on games right you you do uh gameplay systems yeah. stuff like that so what what was yep. it like um making your your first game where you're doing everything or, or most everything uh pretty uh pretty eye-opening and pretty excruciating <laughs> uh, uh my, my friend's company cg bot did all the artwork um the 3d artwork for the game okay and my friend tynan um did all the character poses i recognize for- that name yeah, Tynan was. He's, yeah, he's, super he's, awesome. he's also there's a character named Tynan in the yes, game. Yes, there is, and it's and it is <laughs> it is a completely uh, unveiled reference to my friend Tynan. Because, um, he, my my buddy Tynan, um, he he quit his job shortly after I did, and he went indie too, and uh, and uh, we we would do this thing where we would um, do like what we called Indie Wednesday, where we would have like a, a Google Hangout every week. Um, and we had like uh, uh, AOL like chat accounts that only they were only for you know our you like our indie friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we were basically were kind of like we're in di- different cities, but we were kind of like sanity checking each other the whole time. We, we were you know kind of had the open line of communication. And so he was the person who saw the game the earliest, knew about it the earliest. We would you know screen share, and I would show him stuff working and get feedback and all stuff like that. Um, and so he did. He he did those character poses, but he was also like a design advisor for the whole project. Um, and it was his idea to do the the light possession thing, where you can zip around between objects. Um, mm-hmm. That was his idea. And so that's why um, that's why I named that character after him. And that's why in uh, in that chapter, Dan says something about how his buddy Tynan uh, bailed him out on one of his books and gave him like the idea that made the book work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just completely. An, an opaque or i mean uh, a and a uh, completely unveiled uh reference to him giving me that idea on the game so it's like my, my way of saying thanks and of course he's also in the special thanks and in the play testers and the credits and everything but uh yeah that was pretty much like yeah thanks dude for giving and you know the whole conceit of that chapter is his friend coming to town so they can look at each other's books and give feedback and like me and tynan would do that he would come to town and we'd look at each other's games and give each other feedback so that was a very um very autobiographical chapter i would say how much of the the story uh, do you feel like you kind of put yourself into that way? Um, a lot of the Dan stuff, um, and and it's funny. There was never my intent 
um, when I started. I, you know, I, I never was like, I'm going to make a game about my struggle because my struggle is so freaking important or whatever. <laughs> um, it was, it was never, it, that was not my intent when I started. But, um, and even the fact that he's a novelist, i.e., you know, he's doing a solo creative pursuit as opposed to being a banker or being, you know, some other job. Um, even that was pretty much random. Um, I just pulled that out of a hat. There was no like deeper meaning to that. Uh, but once I started having to put fictional context, because again, I'm a systems guy. So to me, this game is, even the narrative in this game is still systemic to me. Like the, the way that the, you know, the chapters are in random order and the way that the relationships work under the hood and get better and worse, depending on your decisions on stuff like that. Like my goal was to make a coherent story based out of game systems. Um, you know, it's a really weird experiment and you know, it has a lot of, it creaks at the seams a lot, right? Like there's, there's stuff that is sort of mildly dissonant about it. But um, if you, if you consider it from the perspective that every time you play the game, the chapters come in different order. I did not realize that I've not, I've not done a second playthrough yet. Yeah, uh, because it, I I don't want to disappoint more people. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing that I'm the thing I'm a little bit sad that more people aren't finding is it's totally possible to have a happy ending for everybody. You know, I, every- I had a happy ending for most people. Um, so I I don't want to say too much about it and right. give away because that's you know fifty percent of the awesomeness of the game. Right. But um, but yeah, no, I mean I I had a um just to kind of vaguely go into it. Uh, I was focusing on one character about halfway through, and uh, I realized that I was just totally, um, totally and completely abandoning the the sun, and right. so completely shifted focus for the rest of the game. Um, and so everyone everyone seemed happy, but uh, Dan's creative pursuits were not fulfilled. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, but it it was one of those things where the the pictures with that the sun drew at the yeah. end totally made it worth it like it was one of those things where i, I felt very disappointed that i couldn't uh-huh. juggle everything but right. also very satisfied that yeah. i got the ending that i did yeah that, that's 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 the main thing is really just like um because you know the game has no goal it has no mm-hmm. right or wrong it has no judgment system um I, you know i try each chapter to be as sort of even-handed you know and and, and sympathetic as possible like you know i ideally if I just gathered all the playtest data, you know, in every chapter, you know, there'd be one third of people chose Dan, one third of people chose Linda, one third of people chose Tommy. Um, and so really my whole goal was just like, in the absence of an objective and in the absence of any kind of judgment system is just having people get to the end of the game and say, you know what, that reflects the decisions I made. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that makes me think a little bit about my own values like that. You know, that's, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. So if you got there, then, you know, that's, that's all I was ever trying to do. Yeah, I, I definitely got there. I, I don't know um, if other people got there or not, but that was. Uh, I don't want to gush too much over this game in this interview, um, but I I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Thank you. Um, it's it's on his top five list. It it is on my top. Oh, wow. Five. Yeah, it's actually Fantastic. yeah that uh, my top five list went up you today as of this list up. Yeah, you did. You it's did. I I had it I had it set. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, I put a sneak attack on you. You did. Uh, I was actually, I remember, um, I guess this is my tangential time, but, uh, I was, I heard your interview with, uh, Patrick Klepek back during the summer and I was like, oh wow, that sounds really interesting. I should play that. Totally forgot about the game. Sure. And I'm the kind of person that checks steam every single day. 
I get on there, I see it. I'm like, the novelist, that sounds familiar. And I start looking through it, uh, see the trailer, and I'm like, oh, I remember this. I need to play this. I got to I gotta get this. And uh, I did, and I uh, wasn't able to play it until very late that night. And so it was actually split up uh, over two playthroughs, one in kind of very late at night and the next very early the next morning before I went to work. Um, <laughs> and it just put me in a funk for like the rest of the day. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> oh no. That's, that, that's not my goal. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just, uh, it was more so kind of what trying to, to process the game. And it's like, sure. well, this, this should be on my top five. I've got to get my top five done like in the next couple of days. And I thought I had everything figured out, and now I don't. Yeah, it, it totally threw me off, but in a good took, way. So I took advantage of the uh, the recency bias, <laughs> which is good. You stuck that right in there. Yeah. It's, it's like, like the, Oscar uh, season. Yeah, Oscar out, like, right before Absolutely. You did it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, kind of going back to some of the development of the game, is there is there anything that, now that it's finished, now that it's out, that you kind of look back and think... I really wish I could have either either trimmed that down, you know, stuff that you could pull out or stuff that you look at and go, you know what, I really wish I had time or yeah, uh, had the pre-knowledge to, to stick this in there or that. Is there anything in particular? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some sort of functional stuff like um, being able to rebind your keys that I'm going to mm -hmm. add to an update and, you know, some subtitles and things like that that I, that I want to work on. But um, I think mostly the, the thing that I really wish I'd had a, a way to address more is just the um, the sense of repetition and, and the sense that like you're in this same house doing the same thing for the whole game. Um, that, that really seems to be one of the more polarizing elements of it because it, it seems like people who really get bummed out by the fact that it, you know, it is a repetitive game. You know, I, I can't, I can't, you know, disagree with that criticism. Um, but it seems like people who, if, if that's like your number one bummer about the game, then the the people who are bothered by that never get to the point where they're identifying with the characters and engaging with the narrative. Um, whereas people who, on the flip side, engage with the narrative, um, they don't even notice or care about the the fact that it is a repetitious game. So um, I definitely would have liked to have been able to address that. Um, you know, if 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 I was a you know, if I had more money or was a, a bigger studio or something like that, I could have maybe done two locations for the game instead of one, um, you know, or, or, or done maybe some different gameplay variations um, where different chapters had, you know, some custom gameplay elements, um, anything to just kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, but it, it was all that stuff. It, like I knew when I released it, that that was going to be one of the biggest criticisms. Like it's play tester had mentioned, play testers had mentioned it. And I, I kind of got to the point where I was, you know, well, once you know your game pretty well, you're like, yep, this is just a legitimate criticism of the game, and I'm just going to have to live with it, you know? have to suck it up. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, you know, this is one of the reasons the game is not perfect, right? Like, there's plenty of those reasons, but um, <laughs> this is one of the big ones. So I, I, I knew that, and I wish I had time to address it, but I, I'd also just gotten to the point where I was like, I have to be done with this thing. I was like, it, it's, it's, it's ready to be done. So, sure. um, so yeah, so that's, that's probably the biggest thing I wish I could address. And, you know, I'm still going to, um, be supporting the game like I'm going to do an update next year with Linux and I'm going to add um, you know customizable controls and um, hoping to add subtitles and maybe even localization things like that so um, you know th there's there's a chance I could figure out some some ways between now and then to add a little variation to it but uh, you know there, there's there, there's always stuff you wish you could change but um, you know o overall 
the big thing for me is that my focus with the entire game and what I was most interested in from the very inception was the idea of a narrative that is character-based, that is non-linear in terms of um, not being a traditional branching narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and people get out of it what they put into it, where they, they're, they're thinking about their own lives and you know, seeing the, the results of their decisions and, and feeling like they understand why that stuff's happening. And, and that, that was always the number one thing for me. And so even though there's certainly fair criticisms of the game, the fact that so many people are, are getting, you know, that's what I focused on. And, and, and to have succeeded at that is, is um, you know, that, that, that makes me feel okay about the rest. So uh, uh, being both a, uh, a father and a husband myself, mm -hmm. um, I can attest to the, the slippery slope that is life and choices. Right. Um, how, how did you come to those? How did you come to the, uh, you kind of get to the point where, you know, you, you, you kind of evened it out so that, you know, that, that, that you had to make a choice. Somebody had to get hurt and you had to kind of live with that. Um, that, that again kind of comes from my systems background because when I, when I originally blasted off on the game, um, I basically had this idea of, you know, there's this triangle and there's the three relationships. There's Dan's career versus his marriage versus his role as a father. And it kind of hit on, I, I kind of hit on that idea that like, um, it's a tough question is, is doing great works more or less important than being a good, um, a good family person. You know, I like, like, I don't know if Albert Einstein was cool to his wife or not. Um, but he certainly, you know, it's, it's good. We had him, you know, in, in humanity. And so you start thinking <laughs> about like, you know, it's, it's, you start thinking about which of those is more important. And I don't have an answer to that. The, the thing I realize is that like, you know, I'm, I'm certainly driven to do both and I try to do both, you know, I don't have a kid, but I'm married. Um, and I'm, you know, obviously trying to make, you know, make, make games that have a little bit of meaning to them. Um, at least trying, you know, <laughs> there are very varying degrees of people thinking I've accomplished that, but you know, at least trying. Um, and that, that's, a, that's something I struggle with. And so the, when I, you know, that, that question of which is more important. So when I first blasted off on the game, it, it all came from a, it started from a systems perspective where I mapped out how I could make these relationships react. And then I remember the way I put it. Um, the first time I explained it to someone, I said, um, you know, I, I want to make a game based on this, question of what's most important in life and i basically want to make it a narrative to where i ask that same question nine different times in nine different ways mm -hmm. um but because you know just classic three act structure stuff what you know i, I figured you know nine's a good number because i can do you know three little acts of, th of three chapters um three chapters each but it was, it was basically the idea of like yeah this this fundamental question i'm going to create a, a game systems and relationship systems that react to it and then just ask you the question nine times. So by the time you get to the end of the game, you're like, well, I guess I decided that X was more important than Y and Z was pretty important too. You know, yeah, whatever. I, I think that's really interesting that even at the end of that, like that three act chapter or the three act, the, the three act play as it were, that you don't, you don't tell anybody what's more important. It's right. It, it's completely defined by the player himself. Yeah, because I, I don't I don't know the answer to this question. Like so so like it, it would have been very disingenuous, right, for me to um, make a game that led you to a certain conclusion. Um, all, all I tried to do was create you know nine credible um, dilemmas and then make it so that characters would sort of react in a way that's believable. Um, 
you know, I, I never want any chapter to have an easy choice. Um, so obviously, obviously not every chapter is perfectly balanced. Um, there, there's, there's a couple where people are like, I don't know how you couldn't do X. Like, I don't, I don't want to you know, spoil it, but, um, so, so, so it's not perfect, but it, but it is, the idea was, yeah, to create something that really put it in the player's hands because it's, it's all a reaction to games having really linear stories that every single person gets. Like I, the, some of, some of the sort of ideation for this came from a GDC talk I did in uh, 2011 um, called Player Driven Stories, How Do We Get There? And this is while I was um, still working in AAA and I, this, you know, this game had never entered my mind, but it was just a, it was just a, um, a GDC talk about how can we change up the way that we're telling stories in a way that, that takes advantage of our medium. You know, we have, we have interactivity. We, in a book, you can't influence what the book says and you cannot influence how a movie plays out when you're watching it in games you can and i was like we're idiots if we're not trying to you know take advantage of that that's what makes our medium special so um it, that was at a high level sort of a uh a creative driving function for me in the abstract um that you know the, then when i got a chance to make my own game i try i tried to i tried to do something that was systemic and was reactive and was driven by the player um and you know, just try to do that and see how it turned out. I don't even remember what question I was answering. I hope that that uh, yeah, that that sounds good. <laughs> it, that is good. Um, you did mention that there was that, that, that there is a way to kind of make everybody happy. Uh huh. Um, did that come about organically, or were you like, I there has to be a way to do this? Oh, um, that's a good question, and and it gets into the system stuff, and and it gets into something that's really really interesting to me. Um, is is this idea of editorializing through systems design. And what I mean by that is uh, when the game first started, it was zero sum. So, um, you know, the way the, you know, everybody, um, the, the system was perfectly imbalanced. So, so if you, in the first chapter, you know, um, if you choose to side with Linda, then that relationship gets better. But Tommy and uh, and uh, and Dan's uh, book get a little bit worse, but by the same amount. So there's still the same amount of you know quote unquote points in the system. Like it it's a steady state, um, and so you could play the entire game. And if you just rotated, you know, Dan, Linda, Tommy, Dan, Linda, Tommy, Dan, Linda, Tommy, you would get to the end of the game, and it would be exactly how you started it. Um, and the thing I realized was, well, that's not how life is. Um, Nope. Life is not. <laughs> you know, I, was, I was like, I was like, life is life is not a zero sum thing because you start thinking, well, I have friends who do make the extra effort and do figure out ways to, you know, please more than one person or you know accomplish their goals and still make time for for other people. It's like, um, you know, maybe maybe the dad has to go on a business trip and miss his kid's soccer game, but he. When he's on the, you know, he flies home a day early and brings his kid a present to show me, you know, it's like, I missed your game, but I still made an effort, right? Like it, you, you, um, and, and so, and so that's where the compromise system in the game came in because the way that compromises work is that you make your main choice to, um, to conclude a chapter. And then if you do it, and so normally that, you know, that, that makes that person happier and the other two get a little bit sad, but if you do a compromise, you actually move that one person you picked back up to the same level they were before. So you actually um, have every time you do one of those, you add quote unquote, you, you add a point to the overall system. So there's actually, 
you know, and, and I guess I don't know if you call them happiness points or whatever. Um, but every time you do a compromise, you're actually adding more points into that system. And if you do a compromise in every chapter, you can have a happy ending for everybody because you've actually it's sort of like a rising tide floats all ships. Um, so if you, if you play the game and, and distribute fairly evenly, you don't have to literally go Dan, Tommy, Linda, Dan, Tommy, Linda. And, you know, um, but but if you distribute the points fairly evenly and you do compromises and you can totally have a happy ending for everybody. And it's sort of I, I see it as a bit of a failure on my part that more people haven't discovered that because um, there are some ways that the scoring system can work to where you can um, not get the full benefit of that. And that's, you know, that, that's on me. Um, but but the, getting back to that idea of editorializing through game systems, I realize that even though um, the game doesn't have a specific message and it is about asking those questions and is about um, each player coming to their own conclusion of what they feel is most important through the choices they make. I realize that if I design the systems such that it is this steady state, then that in itself is a message. The systems design of that sends a message that says life is zero sum. You can't have it all. It's just this crappy, you know, neutral experience until you die. And I was like, I, I don't, that in itself is a message. I do not want to send that message, you know, with the systems design. So I actually added that compromise system because, you know, you have friends who do make the extra effort. And I said, well, I want to represent that in the game. I want to represent that you actually can make more than one person happy. You can uh, go the extra mile. And if you really work at it, you can actually find happiness in more than one place. And so that, that to me was an example of how my systems background, um, let me sort of editorialize in the game and send a message through through that design, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Yeah. And, and especially, like, like the way I see it, too, is that the... I don't see it as a bad thing that a lot of people don't know that you can make everybody happy, because... It, and it's it's something that, like, I, I take back kind of, like, to the, the, the Mass Effect series, too, that if you just... If you go through it how you go through it and make the choices that you make... Um, the fact that certain things don't change never becomes an option or it never becomes a hassle because you're not gaming the system. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you go through organically and you manage to make everybody happy, then those are the choices that you've made. If yep. you go through there specifically looking for that, then you've kind of lost the point of what you're trying exactly. to do. Exactly. I mean, that, and that's why the game doesn't have any exposed numbers. It's not like you can actually, because under the hood, these relationships, they're just simple numbers. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's all quanti it's all you quantified something that's just yeah, emotional. It's very it's a very, very simple system. You know, it's like, oh, this relationship's at a seven right now, this one's at a four, this one's at a six. You know, I mean it's 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 there's no rocket science behind it. Um, but it was important to me to express it through different ways. So, you know, the the when you read their thoughts, you can see how their thoughts about the relationships change and then you get to see their reaction to the stuff you did. And, you know, like you, I tried to make it so you always found out through systems that were already in the world, um, how things are going. My, my, my favorite example that I'm, that I don't know if anyone's ever noticed, but I noticed it. And so it amuses me, um, is that, uh, Dan's trash can in his office, the worse his book is going, the more balled up paper gets into his trash can. And if it starts going really bad, <laughs> if it starts going really bad, it starts to spill out on the floor um and and it, so each chapter his trash can represents how good his book is going and uh and so like yeah if his, if if you completely nail the book and just kill it and write the best book ever there's like i i think it gets down to where there's one piece of all that paper and if on the opposite end if you've just completely given up on it then it's just like 
this messy pile of paper all around the trash can. <laughs> so, so, so stuff like that, I don't know. I no, no one notices it, but I don't know that. I, I I chose to do that instead of having him have a four floating above his head. You know. <laughs> so the trash can scale. Yeah, the trash. I'll I'll it's have like, to I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah, keep that. And, and if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you make Tommy too upset, you'll notice that his um his uh bed will be he won't make his bed if you get him to a certain level of happiness um his bed his sheets will be all messy um there's just little stuff like that interesting uh what about linda is there anything with the yeah, when with does the... when does she stab you in the night <laughs> <laughs> with the paintbrush well, she, uh, <laughs> she, the linda and tommy will actually stick up for each other so if one of them gets um because because that was another thing where I, um i realized early on like if you're like if you're focusing on linda exclusively and you know they're they're falling all in love again and second honeymoon and all that beautiful stuff and ignoring tommy and all of a sudden he's at the point where he's like why does daddy hate me um and then linda and dan are like hey honey how you doing sexy and and it's just like that i'm okay with dan doing that because you're making the choices for him but all of a sudden linda looks she like would a say something. Mom. yeah yeah so yeah. so they actually they stick up for each other if either one of them gets below a certain threshold um they're they will actually have different clues for what they want in the chapter. Like Linda will say, you know, I really want to go to the art co-op, but Tommy's so depressed. Dan should take, you know, send him to camp instead. Like show her, her actual story clue will say, Hey, look out for your son jerk. Um, and he'll do the same thing. He'll say, I want to go to the beach, but mommy's so sad. Daddy should help her. Like, mm. um, so, so they do that. And then, um, I don't want to give too much away, but if you, if you completely ignore either one of them for long enough, things happen that reflect that very strongly. Uh, so it might be fun if you're going to do a second playthrough just for, for grins to uh, just throw, maybe throw it in story mode so that you can kind of flow through it um, mm -hmm. and just like ignore either Tommy or Linda and you'll get a diff different I'll, outcome. I'll, I'll, um, I'll try. I don't, I don't know if I can promise that I can actually <laughs> yeah. make it through that. Because yeah. yeah. you, you were talking... Yeah. You're talking to the two video game Jesuses of the world. <laughs> Brian and I can't do bad things. I, I'm the same way. <laughs> the same At way. All. Like I, I, I like Fallout myself. Three. I went through and I blew up Megaton once and felt so bad that I refirsted it and erased <laughs> that save. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. I'm, I'm the same way. I can't do the Dark Jedi playthrough and yep. and Kotor and all that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but think 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 of it think of it as just a you know it's just a it's just a job assignment i've just got to power through this to you know it's part sure. of my job sure is, is there an achievement for that unfortunately there's no achievements in the game i should put some of those in it is not a job assignment then i can't do it i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not um, just, if the only thing i'm going to come away with at the end of that are tears I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, the Lin I don't think Linda actually has. I mean, um, their greetings around the house will change. Like the, um, each character, the greetings they say to each other. There's three different um, sound banks. So if things are going bad um, between Dan and Linda, he'll be like, "Is everything okay?" And she'll be like, "Oh, like you care." Um, and oh, you know, they, the, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and same thing with Tommy. He'll be like, what'd I do, Daddy? And Dan will just be like, I don't know. Like it's just like really depressing. Um yeah, it's pretty brutal. But but there's but there's there's so they they have sad, neutral, and happy versions of all the greetings. So, you know, that's the thing that gives you some feedback. Um I don't think Linda has a specific thing, um, even though her paintings the fun thing to me about her paintings is that um I basically, you know, there's there's 
she has three paintings and they each have three stages. So in each chapter, she's, you know, doing a new painting. And then as they, as she finishes them, they start to show up on the, um, you know, leaning on the wall in the, in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three paintings are completely sort of abstract and they kind of come in in phases and the order that they, the order that she does the paintings is random in each playthrough. So like, you know, in the, she might do the birdcage one first and then the forest one second. And then the one with the three figures third. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made those intentionally extremely abstract and vague. Like the the one with the three figures, there's no color coding to it and you can't tell um, two of them are standing together and one person is apart. And it doesn't and you can't tell who it is, but I kinda like the idea that like someone sees that painting and thinks, Oh my god, depending on what choices they're making, you know, that's Dan and Tommy over there and Linda's by herself or Dan's by himself because Linda and Tommy are together. Like pe- people will read into it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, there's the one, you know, that's like the bird and the cage. I definitely did that with the bird cage because yeah. it was a, it was the middle chapter, and that uh-huh. was the point at which I started focusing decisions on Tommy instead, and had yeah. to start like ignoring some of the things that Linda wanted. And I was like, she thinks that I'm trapping her in a cage. Uh, yeah, a but then, <laughs> the, the last stage of that one, like I even controlled. You know, I think in the first two, the first stage of all the paintings is pretty blank. And then the middle one, it starts to take shape. And then the last one is kind of the reveal. And so the cage, I don't think that the open door on the on the birdcage mm-hmm. shows until the third version. Mm-hmm. But I intentionally made these like, um, made these like sort of provocative images that people, they were very open to interpretation, but they're completely random and the order they come in the game and they do not react to any of the player choices. And yet I was like, if I make these, you know, sort of open to interpretation, people will put their own meaning into it. And I, and right. I think that's really interesting. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we pictures like-, like that. I'm always brought back to hook when, uh, when Peter Banning is on the plane and he looks over at his son's uh, like little notebook and he sees that, you know, the plane's kind of exploded and the family is floating down with parachutes, except for this bozo over here on the right-hand side. And he goes, who's that without the parachute? And it's like, oh, that's you, Dad. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but that sounds pretty depressing. Oh, my gosh, you should do No, it's great. It, he's, <laughs> he's, you know, it's it's that same choice. You know, he made the business choice rather than the family choice. And right. That. And then he becomes Peter Pan and everything changes. Right, right. <laughs> so there you go. So when do I, when do I get to fly? Let's... Let's cut right to it. <laughs> In the novelist? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't. Some some people have brought that up. I played with it very briefly, but uh, boy, that would really changed a lot of stuff. <laughs> you get to zipline sort of thing. Yeah. Is that, yeah, you, you is that close enough? <laughs> you get to zoom so around. Why, yeah. Why? Why just lights? Why can't I take over a beat like a sofa? Why can't I, I have somebody's butt? Uh, because because you, I'm, you don't want to take over somebody's butt. That's why. Don't yeah, don't make choices that's, for me, Jonathan. <laughs> that's that's one reason. But um, that that the light only thing is a very, like I have no fictional explanation for it. It's a very just it is. It's just a game systems nerd thing that that I I was just like, as a pure designer, I looked and I was like, oh, this is an object that has something in common with other objects in the house. I either all electrical and they're lights and they have bulbs and they glow. Um, and they're something that I can move around the house and place in 
locations that make for good navigation. So, you know, you'll find that usually, you know, whenever you're in a light, there's kind of like, oh, I can get from this light into this room. Oh, and then for, if I go down here, I can get to this one to this one. You, and you can navigate the entire house just by the lights, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it basically was more of a pure game design thing. Of, okay, I can control the layout. There's a common element to them. And basically... There's always going to be one in a room. Everybody needs yeah, to Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it, it never... There's no... You know, there, there's no meaning beyond that. It was, it was just very functionally clear to me. So that's the only reason. All right, that works for me. I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there's no... I, I wish I could say that, there, that it was tied to the fiction or whatever, um, but it's totally not. And, and I, I lucked out, actually, uh, with the, the flicker behavior because I knew I, I, I wanted... Um, I wanted the player to be able to interact with people directly a little bit and have a distraction tool so that, you know, if, if there's, you know, a, a, a letter on the table and someone's sitting there watching TV, you can get them out of the way so you can go grab it without being spotted. And I was like, wow, you know, how would I make this distraction behavior? I don't want it to be some magical thing that you shoot out or, and I also don't want you to feel like you're toying with the AIs. And I don't want it to be supernatural and all this weird stuff. And I was like, Oh, just make the light flicker. Like that's a completely normal thing. Like if you're in your house and you have light flickers, you don't, um, you think nothing of it. You're like, oh, that's weird. You know, oh, I have to replace that bulb. Eh. You know, like so. So it kind of was very mundane, and it didn't feel like you were toying with the characters too much and making them into puppets. Because, you know, a, a lot of stealth games like in Splinter Cell or Thief or Deus Ex, a lot of it is about you're so all powerful in terms of um, sort of information awareness and having uh, cool player tools that you you know part of the fun is making the enemies look like idiots, right? Like. I'm going to distract you over here so that then you walk into this tripwire place and ha ha ha, I'm just toying with you like a puppet. Um, and that's one of the great things about stealth games. But I was like, you know, I, I want you to care about these characters. I don't want you to make them look like goofy idiots. Right. Like, so, mm-hmm. so that was just a lucky convergence of like, Oh, I've, you know, I picked these light, these light bulbs as the place where the player can be. And oh, all of a sudden I can use them also as a way to get a, a distraction power in the game. So that was, a, that was a happy coincidence. And by the way, oh, by the way, I got to give you your five minute warning now. Okay, it's party unless time. You, unless right. you had a, a really provocative question you wanted to ask, that's, one more that's what our whole questionnaire is. It's all it's six extremely provocative questions. Okay, yeah. good, good. Hit me. Yeah, so we're gonna start it now. It's called the End Game. Here we go. Who is your favorite gaming protagonist? Gaming protagonist. Your video game protagonist. Who's who's your favorite good guy? Your favorite antihero? Yeah. Um. Even though he's intentionally bland, I would say J.C. Denton from Deus Ex, just because it's my favorite game, and so I have the most history with hey, him. He, he's as bland as you want him to be. Well, but he but he's intentionally bland and, yeah, and the, the conversations and stuff. But you, know, but I, you can make him relatively yeah. interesting. So yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You can give him a crazy combination of player powers that make him like a ludicrous ninja. You know. So, <laughs> but yeah, I would I would I, I would default to J.C. All right. So flipping flipping that coin, who's your favorite antagonist? Favorite antagonist can't favorite be Bob antagonist. Page. No, it, well, he's, <laughs> he's one of the all-time terrible video game bosses. So uh, that that definitely was not a strength of of that game. Um, wow, who would that be? Man, see favorite? provocative questions. Yeah, favorite. I'm trying now. I'm gonna just look at my rack of 360 games in here and see if anything comes to mind. I mean, obviously Bowser's up there. He's a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, Dark Link is a classic. 
Um, best antagonist. Huh. Uh, I'm going to go with Shodan. Final answer. System Shock 2. Excellent. Look at you, hacker. Yep. Um, what's your favorite least favorite? What's your favorite? <laughs> what is your what's your least favorite theme or like trope that you'd like to see kind of gone from video games? Ah, that's a good question. There's so many. How do I whittle it down? Um, huh. well, well, most people struggle for one. So if you could give me a whole bunch, then you know yeah. by all means, you I mean, make there, up for others. There, there, it's kind of a tricky question because you want to say something like zombies, but you know, something like state of decay or left for dead proves that you can do zombies in really interesting, really cool ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I could say military shooters. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there are versions of that that are done extremely well, you know, like, like call of duty is an extremely well done military shooter, but we're like, we have enough of those. Let's try something different. Um, the general, the general idea of saving the universe. Um, I, I just personally, whenever something is on a universal galactic save the world type of scale, I find it very hard to care about it because those stakes are so high that it's impossible to... It can't possibly be just on me. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's also, if the stakes are that high, you know that the universe is not going to end. So it's, it's almost like you know you're going to do it before it's done. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you're going to save the world before you actually do. So, like, th- those type of, you know, I find human stakes much more interesting. Um, what else? I'll just, I'll just, I'll stick with those. All right. All right. All right. What's, uh, wh- what's the one thing you miss about working on the huge AAA teams? Um, just wor- working around really talented people. Um, you know, like, wor- working on a game myself is great in a lot of ways but it's also very very isolating and very um it'll make you a little bit crazy so uh i you know there it's it's really great you know I've, I've been fortunate to work with a bunch of really great teams and really great people over my career um and you know there's there's nothing like just working on stuff with someone who is smarter than you who has more experience than you and is teaching you stuff all the time and making you a better developer and uh just has that camaraderie and mentorship and stuff like that. You know, like I really just miss uh, being around, uh, you know, just, just my favorite developers and, and having that back and forth. Um, that That's definitely the, the biggest thing I miss. I, I miss almost none of being in a big company, but, you know, and luckily, you, you know, yeah, I miss the people. I miss the people. So yeah, that would be it for sure. All right. Um, if you could attempt any other profession, no restrictions, Mm-hmm. What would you like to try? Uh, I would be the rhythm guitarist and screamer in a sludge metal band. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, I love music, and I used to be in bands and stuff and play guitar and all that. And uh, I actually, like, I remember, this This is going to sound oddly clinical, but I, I remember um, when I was in, in my senior year of college and I was trying to decide what I want to do with my life, um, I remember... Th- you know, because I, I love music, I, I love writing music, I love being in bands and, and stuff like that. Um, and I was, and I kind of was like, well, you know, I could either make video games or be in a band. And and I like made this like really clinical, you know, what some would say would be a sellout decision, where I was just like, well, the lifestyle of being in a band sucks. Um, and 
specifically like I really love metal. And so I was, I was like, it's, it, you know, it would be a genre that I will never have any, you know, have, have a ton of, you know, widespread acclaim in and probably will never make a lot of money. And I, you know, I, I, you know, living in a van sounds shitty. And so I was like, you know, if I'm a game developer, I can actually have like a normal life and have an apartment and, you know, live in the same place and not have to travel all the time. So I just made like this clinical, like, Oh, I'll try to do that then. Um, but you know, I, I, I love, love, love music. And uh, I was actually, when I was on Einstorm, I was actually in a band with, um, our drummer was the uh, guy who worked on Thief 3. We had a metal band together. So that's, we, you know, I, I did a little bit of that. But yeah, I, I definitely, if, you know, switching shoes, I would I would be in a nice down-tuned sludgy metal band. That is the best answer anybody has ever given to that question. <laughs> and hands down, without even thinking back to all the ones I got, that is the the finest answer to that question ever <laughs> well, I'm, and exactly what i was going for i'm glad i can do what i can yes that's uh, perfect hall of fame <laughs> all right uh, <laughs> uh final final question um at the end of our lives when we come to the gates of the mushroom kingdom mm-hmm. and toad is there with the book of our deeds kind of looking over everything what do you want him to say to you well that's a good question because that actually is that's a big part of why I made this game is um, number one, answering that question for yourself. Like, do you, you know, a, a big question that drove me on this one was I was thinking these scenarios for the game. Um, I was thinking when I'm 80, do I want to look back and say, wow, I made the greatest game of all time or I, you know, was a luminary of the game industry or, you know, I, I was influential in this way and changed the landscape industry and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm not saying I've done any of those things. I'm, I'm just saying, what would I want to look back and say i'm certainly not saying that i've you know accomplished any of that um or do i want to look back and say wow you know i had this great family i was beloved i was always there for the people you know who were who were there for me um and uh and i don't and the whole reason i made the game is i don't know the answer to that question and i and i still don't know you know like i i mean ideally it'd, it'd be great to have both of those things like yeah he was a good dude who took care of his family and 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 was loved by the people who loved him and or that's a total redundant thing to say but you know was, 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 loved, was loved, loved by those around him um and also was like the super talented dude who uh you know did some good stuff for video games so that that's what i would want you know i, I kind of want them both and that's why i made this game is because i don't know which one is right so you want the zero sum life no i, I want I, I want the uh i want the, everything I, to matter damn it yeah I, I want i want yeah, i want the uh i did all the compromises and got the happy ending life that's that's what i want so yeah I guess my answer is I don't know, and that's why I made this game, and I still don't know. <laughs> I I can deal with it. Yeah, that works. I can deal with it. You did it. You, that's it. All okay, right. You are free to go to your party now. <laughs> all right. I, yeah, I got to go get all dressed up. All right. Well, uh, before we go, thank you, Kent, uh, for sitting down and talking to us. Had a great time. If you could just tell our listeners where they can go to find out more information about The Novelist. Yeah, just go to the website, um, the, www.thenovelistgame.com. Um, it also is the first thing that comes up if you Google the novelist. So go to the novelistgame.com and you can buy it right there on the site. And if you buy it on the site, it comes with a Steam key, DRM free. It's the best of all worlds. And if you scroll down a little bit, you can even buy the soundtrack. So there you go. Did you have a hand in the soundtrack? Just right yeah. Before. Other than the artwork, I did everything oh, in the uh, entire game. Oh, awesome. oh, and I also didn't do the voice acting. The voice acting was uh, David Pinion did Dan, Kelly Lynn McKeever, who's Tynan's wife. That's why in the game it's Tynan and Kelly. Um, she was Linda and uh, Sage Brill, a uh, kid from here in uh, San Francisco, was uh, Tommy. But other than that, I did, um, yeah, I did everything. Uh, okay. 
The music's actually procedurally generated. It's different every time you play. Wow. It, okay, yeah, I've, I've definitely got to do another playthrough then. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, it, never, it never loops or anything. It's just a <laughs> constant stream of peaceful piano. Um, and the, like the soundtrack that you can buy, um, I just I have a mode where I can put the game where it just sits there and, and generates songs. And so I just like let it run for four hours and recorded a ton of songs <laughs> and then went through and just picked out the ones I like the best. But they're, they're, all, they're all random creations. Um, I just picked out the ones that kind of came out the best and had the most mood. So all the tracks on there are like, I, I just gave them one word titles of what they sound like to me. So like this one's called consequences. This one's called watching. This one's called contemplation. You know, like it just kind of what the sounds reminded me of, but yeah, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's all procedural. Never awesome. do the same thing twice. All right. Well, uh, thank you once again for, uh, for joining us and have a good Christmas party and a happy holiday. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me guys. I had a lot of fun. No problem. All right.